This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Appreciations and Criticisms of the Works of Charles Dickens by G. K. Chesterton Section 23, Chapter 16 Child's History of England There are works of great authors manifestly inferior to their typical work, which are yet necessary to their fame and their figure in the world. It is not difficult to recall examples of them. No one, for instance, would talk of Scott's Tales of Grandfather as indicating the power that produced Kenilworth and Guy Mannering. Nevertheless, without this chance minor compilation, we should not really have the key of Scott. Without this one insignificant book, we should not see his significance. For the truth was that Scott loved history more than romance, because he was so constituted as to find it more romantic than romance. He preferred the deeds of Wallace and Douglas to those of Marmion and Ivanhoe, therefore his garrulous gossip of old times, his rambles in dead centuries, give us the real material and impulse of all his work. They represent the quarry in which he dug and the food on which he fed. Almost alone among novelists, Scott actually preferred those parts of his historical novels which he had not invented himself. He exults when he can boast in an eager note that he has stolen some saying from history. Thus the tales of a grandfather, though small, is in some sense the frame of all the Waverley novels. We realize that all Scott's novels are tales of a grandfather. What has been said here about Scott might be said in a less degree about Thackeray's Four Georges, though standing higher among his works than the tales of a grandfather among Scott's, they are not his works of genius. Yet they seem, in some way, to surround, supplement, and explain such works. Without the Four Georges, we should know less of the link that bound Thackeray to the beginning and to the end of the 18th century. Thence we should have known less of Colonel Esmond, and also less of Lord Steyne. To these two examples I have given the slight historical experiments of two novelists. A third has to be added. The third great master of English fiction, whose glory fills the nineteenth century, also produced a small experiment in the popularization of history. It is separated from the other two parts by a great difference of merit, but partly also by an utter difference of tone and outlook. We seem to hear it suddenly, as in the first words, spoken by a new voice, a voice gay, colloquial, and impatient. Scott and Thackeray were tenderly attached to the past. Dickens, in his consciousness at any rate, was impatient with everything, but especially impatient with the past. A collection of the works of Dickens would be incomplete in an essential as well as a literal sense, without his child's history of England. It may not be important as a contribution to history, but it is important as a contribution to biography, as a contribution to the character and the career of the man who wrote it, a typical man of his time. That he had made no personal historical researches, that he had no special historical learning, that he had not had in truth even anything that could be called a good education, all this only accentuates not the merit, but at least the importance of the book. 
for here we may read in plain popular language written by a man whose genius for popular exposition has never been surpassed among men a brief account of the origin and meaning of england as it seemed to the average englishman of that age when subtler views of our history some more false some more true than his have become popular or at least well known when in the near future carlylean or catholic or marxian views of history have spread themselves among the reading public this book will always remain a bright and brisk summary of the cocksure healthy-minded essentially manly and essentially ungentlemanly view of history which characterized the radicals of that particular radical era the history tells us nothing about the periods that it talks about but it tells us a great deal about the period that it does not talk about the period in which it was written it is in no sense a history of england from the roman invasion but it is certainly one of the documents which will contribute to a history of england in the nineteenth century of the actual nature of its philosophical and technical limitations it is i suppose unnecessary to speak they all resolve themselves into one fault common in the modern world and certainly characteristic of historians much more learned and pretentious than dickens that fault consists simply in ignoring or underrating the variety of strange evils and unique dangers in the world the radicals of the nineteenth century were engaged and most righteously engaged in dealing with one particular problem of human civilization they were shifting and apportioning more equally a load of custom that had really become unmeaning often accidental and nearly always unfair thus for instance a fierce and fighting penal code which had been perfectly natural when the robbers were as strong as the government had become in more ordered times nothing but a base and bloody habit thus again church powers and dues which had been human when every man felt the church as the best part of himself were mere mean privileges when the nation was full of sects and full of free thinkers this clearing away of external symbols that no longer symbolized anything was an honorable and needful work but it was so difficult that to the men engaged in it it blocked up the perspective and filled the sky so that they slid into a very natural mental mistake which colored all their views of history they supposed that this particular problem on which they were engaged was the one problem upon which all mankind had always been engaged they got it into their heads that breaking away from a dead past was the perpetual process of humanity the truth is obviously that humanity has found itself in many difficulties very different from that sometimes the best business of an age is to resist some alien invasion sometimes to preach practical self-control in a world too self-indulgent and diffused sometimes to prevent the growth in the state of great new private enterprises that would poison or oppress it above all it may sometimes happen that the highest task of thinking citizen may be to do the exact opposite of the work which the radicals had to do it may be his highest duty to cling on to every scrap of the past that he can find if he feels that the ground is giving way beneath him and sinking into mere savagery and forgetfulness of all human culture this was exactly the position of all thinking men in what we call the dark ages say from the sixth to the tenth century 
the cheap progressive view of history can never make head or tail of that epic it was an epic upside down we think of the old things as barbaric and the new things as enlightened in all that age all the enlightened things were old all the barbaric and brutally ignorant things were new and up-to-date republicanism was a fading legend despotism was a new and successful experiment christianity was not only better than the clans that rebelled against it christianity was more rationalistic than they were when men looked back and saw progress and reason when they looked forward and saw shapeless tradition and tribal terror touching such an age it is obvious that all our modern terms describing reform or conservation are foolish and beside the mark the conservative was then the only possible reformer if a man did not strengthen the remains of roman order and the root of roman christianity he was simply helping the world to roll downhill into ruin and idiocy remember all these evident historical truths and then turn to the account given by charles dickens of that great man st dunstan it is not that the pert cockney tone of the abuse is irritating to the nerves is that he has got the whole hang of the thing wrong his head is full of the nineteenth-century situation that a priest imposing discipline is a person somehow blocking the way to equality and light whereas the point about such a man as dunstan was that nobody in the place except he cared a button about equality or light and that he was defending what was left of them against the young and growing power of darkness and division and caste nevertheless the case against such books as this is commonly stated wrong the fault of dickens is not as is often said that he applies the same moral standard to all ages every sane man must do that a moral standard must remain the same or it is not a moral standard if we call saint anthony of padua a good man we must mean what we mean when we call huxley a good man or else there is no sense in using the word good the fault of the dickens school of popular history lies not in the application of a plain rule of right and wrong to all circumstances but in ignorance of the circumstances to which it was applied it is not that they wrongly enforce the fixed principle that life should be saved it's that they take a fire engine to a shipwreck and a lifeboat to a house on fire the business of a good man in dickens time was to bring justice up to date the business of a good man in dunstan's time was to toil to ensure the survival of any justice at all and dickens though being a living and fighting man of his own time kept the health of his own heart and so saw many truths with a singular eye truths that were spoiled for subtler eyes he was much more really right than carlyle immeasurably more right than froude he was more right precisely because he applied plain human morals to all facts as he saw them carlyle really had a vague idea that in coarse and cruel times it was right to be coarse and cruel that tyranny was excusable in the twelfth century as if the twelfth century did not denounce tyrants as much or more than any other carlyle in fact fancied that rufus was the right sort of man a view which was not only not shared by anselm but was probably not shared by rufus in this connection or rather in connection with the other case of froude 
it is worth while to take another figure from dickens's history which illustrates the other and better side of the facile and popular method sheer ignorance of the environment made him wrong about dunstan but sheer instinct and good moral tradition made him right for instance about henry the eighth right where fruit is wildly wrong dickens's imagination could not repicture an age where learning and liberty were dying rather than being born but henry the eighth lived in a time of expanding knowledge and unrest a time therefore somewhat like the victorian and dickens in his childish but robust way does perceive the main point about him that he was a wicked man he misses all the fine shades of course he makes him every kind of wicked man at once he leaves out the serious interests of the man his strange but real concern for theology his love of certain legal and moral forms his half unconscious patriotism but he sees the solid bulk of definite badness simply because it was there and froude cannot see it at all because froude followed carlyle and played tricks with the eternal conscience henry the eighth was a blot of blood and grease upon the history of england for he was the embodiment of the devil in the renaissance that wild worship of mere pleasure and scorn which with its pictures and its palaces has enriched and ruined the world the time will soon come when the mere common sense of dickens like the mere common sense of macaulay though his was poisoned by learning and whig politics will appear to give a plainer and therefore truer picture of the mass of history than the mystical perversity of a man of genius writing only out of his own temperament like carlyle or taine if a man has a new theory of ethics there is one thing he must not be allowed to do let him give laws on sinai let him dictate a bible let him fill the world with cathedrals if he can but he must not be allowed to write a history of england or a history of any country all history was conducted on ordinary morality with his extraordinary morality he is certain to read it all askew thus carlyle tries to write of the middle ages with a bias against humility and mercy that is with a bias against the whole theoretic morality of the middle ages the result is that he turns into a mere turmoil of arrogant german savages what was really the most completely and logical if not the highest of human civilizations historically speaking it is better to be dickens than to be this better to be ignorant provincial slapdash seeing only the passing moment but in that moment to be true to eternal things it must be remembered of course that dickens deliberately offers this only as a child's history of england that is he only professes to be able to teach history as any father of a little boy of five professes to be able to teach him history and although the history of england would certainly be taught very differently as regards the actual criticism of events and men in a family with a wider culture with another religion the general method would be the same for the general method is quite right this black and white history of heroes and villains this history full of pugnacious ethics and of nothing else is the right kind of history for children i have often wondered how the scientific marxians and the believers in the materialist view of history will ever manage to teach their dreary economic generalizations to children but i suppose they will have no children 
Dickens' history will always be popular with the young, almost as popular as Dickens' novels, and for the same reason, because it is full of moralizing. Science and art without morality are not dangerous, in the sense commonly supposed. They are not dangerous like a fire, but dangerous like a fog. A fire is dangerous in its brightness, a fog in its dullness, and thought without morals is merely dull, like a fog. The fog seems to be creeping up the street, putting out lamp after lamp, but this cockney lamp post which the children love is still crowned with its flame, and when the fathers have forgotten ethics, their babies will turn and teach them. The End of Section 23 Chapter 16 Child's History of England